It's time for our summer patron giveaway. Yes, this time we're doing a prize pack of uh, selected comics, uh, some swag, um, uh, uh, some special stuff, uh, gifts from Jason from Hawaii, so some Hawaiian goodies, um, all kinds of fun stuff to share our love to you, uh, the patrons. So if you would like to be included in our summertime giveaway, just become a patron at any level uh, between now and Labor Day. So it's a summer giveaway, and then after Labor Day, we will pull a, a patron randomly from the stack and send you a prize pack. Now, not only that, not only do you get entered to win, you got to be in it to win it, by the way. That's what they say. You get on-air thanks and show note shout-outs, uh, priority inclusion of your feedback and questions or comments into the show, access to our patron only Slack community, very popular. Exclusive content, um, you get bonus episodes that nobody else gets. You get early access to bonus episodes or regular episodes. You get them ad free. You get them unedited. Um, sometimes that's a blessing and a curse, depending uh, on your feelings there. Uh, all kinds of fun stuff. And the levels go up, you get more more stuff. Uh, the, but that's that's kind of the ground floor stuff you get um, coming in as a patron. So please do so. It also means that you like what we're doing and you're sharing and caring enough to uh, throw us a couple of um, shekels our way. And we appreciate that. And it helps keep the lights on. It helps pay the server fees. It helps um, keep us going and keep us doing it on our our road to a thousand episodes. Can we get there? <clears throat> I hope so. I hope so. But everything's going up. It's getting harder and harder um, to justify uh, luxury expenses like podcast fees. So uh, your help it is greatly appreciated, and we want uh, to continue that. Some of you just do it just to say thanks. We appreciate that. Some of you do it for the giveaway. Some of you do it for... Uh, some of the tier perks. All those are valid. So whatever your reasoning, join our Patreon. Give us a little bit of love. We appreciate it. Come contest time, uh, we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll pull your name, and you will get a fun prize pack uh, mailed directly to you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Aloha. It's Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing writer Matt Groom. He's here to promote his latest Kickstarter, Inferno Girl Red Books 1 and 2. Now, this camp now this Kickstarter campaign has now launched and it will end towards the end of September. I'm going to ask you listeners to please double check the Kickstarter page um, for the exact dates. Now, Matt, welcome to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you very much. Now, listeners, I'm just going to briefly go over Matt's past work. And Matt, please feel free to correct me if I got something wrong or just jump in if you want to point out something for listeners to check sure. out. So, all right. So now I know uh, Matt has done um, one of his past works he's done was Self-Made from Image Comics. Mm -hmm. Um 
He's done his, you know, he has he has done some runs on the um, Power Ranger series from Boom Studios. Um, he has co-written with Kyle Higgins some of the Ultraman series from the Marvel comics. And That's right. Matt, I have to tell you this: um, one of the comic book series that you wrote, you co with um, Kyle was Ultraman: The Mystery of Ultra Seven. That yeah. first issue has my favorite monster or kaiju. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce the name of it. Um, <laughs> Iliking. Oh, Iliking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Iliking's fun, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm kind of going off the cuff. I'm kind of going off script. But oh, no. my God. Because in the 70s, because back, and I'll talk more about this too throughout the interview. Back in the yeah. 70s um, in Hawaii, Ultra 7 was one of the series that they showed on TV. Mm. Oh my God! And when the toys came out, Ely um, um, King was um, was my favorite, one of my the favorite monsters that I had. Oh my <laughs> God! I love that. And I and I had the one, and I don't know the I I don't know the name of it, but it was the one that looked like um, like a bull. It had the horns and everything. I, and it was kind of stocky. I don't know what the name of it was, but yeah, but. I've yeah, had I'm not sure. Yeah, but I've had. They're, least... they're such cool designs, though, aren't they? Like the the monster designs in Tokusatsu generally is uh, like always so impressive that they're able to be so vibrant and creative, but they still got a person in there in a suit to um, do all the yeah. practical effects. So oh, impressive. Yes, but the funny thing is, I I've, I've only had like two or three of the Ultra Seven monsters, but I was never able to get the Ultraman uh, Ultra Seven figure. That was the funniest ah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all sold out. <laughs> yeah, I no, that's what it probably was. But yeah, anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to continue on. So, and also to correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, you are the co-host for the Ranger Danger podcast. And my that's understanding right. was that you're, um, I know you, you've been doing it for about ten years, or is it more okay. now? We're about a month away from our 10th anniversary. So very nearly 10 years. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going to ask, can you please tell listeners, what is this podcast about and how mm -hmm. often does it come out? Yeah. So we've been do doing Ranger Day for about yeah 10 years, as I said, and it is a podcast where for the most part, we just watch episodes of Power Rangers and then we talk about them afterwards. A very simple format, but... Uh, as it turns out, there are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds coming up on a thousand episodes of Power Rangers. Yes. So mm -hmm. a nearly infinite supply of content, which has kept us going all this time. Uh, and we've done a, a few extra little things here and there, but that's the bulk of it. And it's been at least one episode a week for the 10 years. We've never missed a Wednesday release. Uh, and with extra episodes and things like that, mm -hmm. we've done, I think, almost... Uh, on average, two episodes a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we're about 850-ish episodes in total. So, yeah, uh -huh. it's been a, a massive undertaking and we're still going. But it's a lot of fun. Yes, it is. And then I have to say, it's amazing that the Super Sentai franchise really took off because I remember in the early 2000s that basically the the, the main Japanese franchise at that time was like common the common writer series or in yeah. America's translate the mask writer or and the Ultraman series. 
you know mm. it's and now it's like the super sentai it's it's amazing you know it's such a strange journey isn't it it's like how my life was impacted and changed because of the decision on the part of Pime Saban and others to adapt this Japanese TV show and yes. release it mm-hmm. in the Western world. And and then it's like incredible success and uh, decades yes. long run. It's it like it affected my childhood love of mm-hmm. superheroes and storytelling in a really strong way. Yes. It also directly led me to doing the Ranger Danger podcast, of course, mm-hmm. which is how I met Kyle Higgins, uh, the creator of Radiant Black. He did a big run on the parents comics and through that is how I ended up getting into comics writing. So if it wasn't for Super Sentai, I probably wouldn't be a comics writer. So I have a lot of appreciation and affection mm-hmm. for Super Sentai. Number one, just because it's great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also because it's, um, yeah, it's really satisfying. I'm sorry. I'm bringing a little bit off the cuff here. <clears throat> have you ever watched the original Super Sentai called the Go Rangers. And in translation, Go means five in Japanese, the five Rangers. I've seen one or two episodes of a bunch of different Sentai series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided kind of early on when doing the podcast, we never wanted to watch too much of the Sentai because that would sort of reveal to us what was coming in Power Rangers because it's a direct adaption. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I've seen, I think... Probably not episodes from every Sentai series, but mm-hmm. most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, gosh, I love it. And it's such a fascinating, like, cultural experience and, and like narrative experience that you can't get anywhere else. Where you watch one show and then you watch another show that's like fifty percent made up of footage from that same show, mm-hmm. but taking it in a completely different direction and seeing how those different choices are, are made and yeah, the different decisions that they make. It's very fascinating. Okay, I'm sorry, Matt. We got to continue because if not, this is going to be a three-hour interview. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could talk about this for ages. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So okay. Um. So um. I'm going to ask Matt. Did you want to add anything else for listeners? Um. Did I miss anything, or do you want listeners to check out some of your other works, or, you know? Um. No, nothing major. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. I think think that that was all of the big stuff. I've done a few. A handful of short stories here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the subject of Power Rangers, I do yes. have a short story coming in the Boom Studios uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th anniversary special, which is coming at the end of August. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, fun story in there as well. Okay, all right. All right. Now, now before I begin to the interview, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah Bahedri of Superfan Promotion for setting up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much for asking the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast to interview Matt. Matt, I'm going to ask, would you like to add anything to that? Oh, yeah. Just that, you know, I very much appreciate the help of Hannah and David at, at Superfan Promotions. They're so delightful and they're helping me connect with people like you um, and have these chats, which I, I really do love. So, yeah, big appreciation to those guys. Right. And then now I also I wanted to let listeners know that I got some of my information from an article from the, the comic Comic-Con website titled the title of the article is Talking with Matt Groom about Inferno Girl from Image Comics. And that was written by Ali McNamee. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the mm-hmm. last name correctly. That was um, actually this year from June 6th of 2023. And then also, too, I checked out a, um, a previous um, podcast, The Ranger Command 
interview that was episode 209, Mighty Morphin. Um, I believe they're talking about the comic book series from issue 17 to 22 with Matt Groom. That was dated December 7th, um, 2022. I listened mm. to that. Oh, my God, Matt, you had so much fun. You showed your love of the Power Rangers through. That was yeah. That was great. I mean, your your guys' enthusiasm. Oh yeah! And when you did this, and and how can and it was just it it was just like <laughs> your love for it came through. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, I as we've been saying, I've had this this childhood affection for the Power Rangers, and getting a chance to do six issues and tell some stories with those characters. So a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a childhood dream come true as well. And I have obviously taken a lot of that and poured it into doing something of my own take on that um, mm-hmm. yes. in the form of Infotico Red. All right. And then um, now listeners, if you guys get a chance, please check out those cool interviews. Now, Matt, I'm going to ask promote your website, social platforms, like where can listeners follow you on social media, your website? Yeah. Uh, so I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Matthew with one T. Groom, G-R-O-O-M, or one word. I have a website, mattgroom.com, again, one T in Matt. And most importantly is, of course, our Infernal Red Books 1 and 2 Kickstarter page. Um, if you search Infernal Red on Kickstarter, it'll come up. But I also think infernalgoredred.com should be redirecting there right now. Yes, because I just checked it out um, this morning. Yes, thank you. Okay. Now, I'm going to let's, I'm going to stay, let's just jump into Infernal Girl. Um, Infernal Girl Red. Um, and if you want, if you want to talk about books, if you want to combine the story, books one and two, that's fine. But what is the story about? Yeah. So Infernal Girl Red is the story of a teenage girl named Cassia Costa. And she, previous to the story, had been sort of bouncing around from city to city with her mother as her mother tried to find jobs. They have had a hard life without much luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that luck starts to turn around when Cassie gets an invitation to a very prestigious and progressive new school called uh, Helix Campus in a very cool city called Apex City, which is kind of like a, almost like a near futuristic, um, near utopian place. And it feels like everything's turning around for Cassia, but shortly after she arrives, the entire city is ripped out of our dimension Mm -hmm. and then cast into darkness. And it seems like that's all, everything that was about to go right for Cassie has been taken away, but she gets a chance to turn it all around when a magical bracelet rockets into her life and mm-hmm. gives her the ability to turn into the, the legacy hero in Fernando Red. But that power set is powered by belief and hope and optimism. And that's not something that she has a lot of naturally because of what she's experienced in her life. So she's got to try and find a way to believe in herself and believe in the future when it seems like there's kind of no rational reason to. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the heart of our story. Um, where you've already, and you've already talked about um, Cassia. Um, you want to talk mm. a little bit about her mother? Because like you said, her and her mother have been going around through the sea. I know the backstory because, um, and I, I'll just mention already because um, when I got the hardcover, I didn't expect, like a little ash can small little comic book <laughs> inside uh, that yeah, was yeah. great and it tie and it and it gives a little bit of a backstory to the mom so i'm sorry absolutely yeah no i i cassia's mom is a very very important character in the story and, and 
you know, with Infinity Gauntlet in general, we wanted to try and do things that haven't really been done in superhero comics much before, try and push things in a new direction. And I wanted her relationship with her mom to be different to, yeah, what, what we've seen before. So mm-hmm. it isn't the situation where, you know, the mom dies and that's a at the start and that's a tragic motivation for her. It isn't the case where Cassia has to hide her secret identity and mm-hmm. all of the drama and tension comes from that. They just have a very loving and supportive relationship. And it's not perfect. Um, there's definitely some tension there and some pressure there, but they just care for each other very much and they are both incredibly capable. Uh, and having those two and their relationship be at the heart of the story is really important to me. Um, and as I was sort of figuring that out and developing the the backstory and history of the world, I knew that there was just so many other stories we could tell both in the past and, and in the future. So when we had the chance for the Kickstarter to do a, a little Ashken comic as a stretch goal, I thought it would be really cool to throw back to the past and see a little, little bit of um, both the previous holder of the Inferno mm-hmm. Red mantle, but also uh, Cassie's mom earlier in life when she was closer to Cassie's age and mm-hmm. um, how she was different and how maybe she was the same. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, um, I'm not going to try to give too much away about the ash can, but um, but I love her mom's optimism because she was helping mm-hmm. like I guess one of the one of the people that um infernal the I guess the previous holder of the the infernal um girl red um bracelet, you know she's yeah. talking to the survivor going no don't worry, you know she's going to protect you we're going to we're here we are here to help you. And I thought yeah. that was great. That was that was very good. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, important to me that these characters sort of both complement each other and, and sort of um, challenge each other. Mm-hmm. And Cassia is someone who, as I mentioned before, is very pragmatic and sometimes even a little cynical, yes. uh, perhaps sometimes to her detriment. And her mother is someone who's incredibly optimistic and hopeful yes. but sometimes to her detriment as well mm-hmm. uh, and i think probably like the perfect way of being is somewhere in between them uh but they kind of need each other to, to balance each other out i feel mm-hmm. like without cassia cassia's mother would probably get into trouble a lot because she doesn't think anything ever anything's gonna go wrong and can sometimes be a little reckless mm-hmm. but also Cassia needs her mother to push her to, you know, believe that something better is possible, even yes. if it seems like everything's going wrong. Um, so yeah, they're kind of constructed to um, push and pull on each other in both good and bad ways. I I was going to bring this up a little bit later on, but I want I think this is the perfect time for me to bring bring it up. Is mm. you know we talk about the strong bond between you know Cassie and her mother. It's really great. Um, there is one scene that I I really love is when Cassie gets the bracelet. She's a little, you know, her roommate calls and goes, "Hey, you know, um, you know, we're, you know, the our um, you know, our apartment's being attacked. The school dorm is being mm-hmm. attacked, you know, and you know, there's a monster outside my door." And Cassie is very hesitant to go and um go basically fight her very first monster and to save her friend. But what yeah. I really love was Anna said, someone's life is in danger. And I promise, and in the text, in the lettering, 
the promise, the word promise is a little bit more dark. It's like a little bit more bold. You have the power to do something about it. Go. And again, the word go is in bold. And I love it because it was just, you got this. It's not a, don't worry, honey, you can do this. It's the, no, you, you, I know, I know what you can do. And I know what that can, that can do, you know, the bracelet can do. Yeah. It's not just uh, like empty, fluffy, nice words. There is a a deep well of genuine belief in Anna. uh, And she really thinks her daughter is going to change the world. Yes. Um, And yeah, there's a, there's a pressure to that, but it is also very empowering um, as we see in the book. That's great. Um, I'm going to ask about, I'm going to ask about a couple more people or actually one couple of questions. Who is Harriet in the book? Mm. So Harriet is a new friend that Cassia makes shortly after arriving in Apex uh, and sort of quickly, I think, develops into Cassia's new best friend because of how well they get along. Um, And Harriet is someone who is a really great communicator and is extremely empathetic and understanding and in some ways is a lot, again, of what Cassia needs, kind of helps like fill out the missing parts of Cassia in some ways. Um, and I think that what, what I've noticed hearing from people is that Harriet's kind of a a fan favorite character now uh, yes. because of just how good she is at being a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear a lot, like, I just wish I had a friend like Harriet. She's just, she's perfect at mm-hmm. that. She's like such a Zen person. Um, and I think in some ways, like Harriet is another representation of, um, the ethos of the school in a lot of ways, because it isn't a traditional school. They teach them things that aren't necessarily always taught in classes re- relating to mental health and human interaction. Mm-hmm. And Harriet's got it, you know, like she's just someone who cares so deeply about her fellow person mm-hmm. and can help anyone out no matter what the situation is and is always willing to. So she's a really great as support system for Catherine and other boys. I'm going to say, yes, she is a very good support system. She's a very good friend. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, and this is, sorry, I added this question on. So who is the cabal? What is that group? Yeah. So, keeping an eye on people. <laughs> I, that's absolutely. all I'm going to say. <laughs> there, there is a, uh, yeah, an underground network that has existed in Apex and maybe elsewhere mm-hmm. for at least many decades, probably longer, and they worship some sort of entity or force, mm-hmm. uh, sort of somewhere out in the universe that wants to consume everything, and they've kind of decided that it's going to happen yes. and that the best thing to do is to help. Mm-hmm. And in helping, at least they'll probably get a little bit of something for them. They'll mm-hmm. probably get favorable treatment mm-hmm. um, as long as they do that. And what this means is that because these people are sort of interspersed throughout society and they keep their identity secret, there's it's very hard for Cassie to be able to trust anyone yes. because anybody out there could be part of this cabal. They could be someone with you know bad intentions for both Cassie mm-hmm. and the city. Um, so, yeah, they're sort of like the personal manifestation of this this darkness that has infiltrated uh, Apex City. Matt, I'm sorry, this is going to be an off-the-cuff question because the Cabal sends off monsters to attack um, yeah. you know, Inferno Girl. Um, I noticed that the designs are always sometimes, it's either 
some type of an uh, insect or animal. Was that mm. was that a creative, purposely creative choice, you guys, you and and um, Erica, you, uh, yeah. your co-creator? Was that something yeah. you guys decided early on? You guys wanted to do? Yeah, absolutely. Very early on, when we were designing um, all aspects of the book, we had a lot of conversations about what these things mean and what they represented the story, and we call these uh, fragments for something that for reasons that will probably become clear a bit later, but mm -hmm. the, these fragments are very single-minded and kind of animalistic. They're all hunters. They all, they're all hunting for something in particular. Yeah. And they, they just have this like single-minded desire to consume. Mm -hmm. And when we, we sort of settled on that idea, we realized that giving them sort of animalistic qualities would help communicate this idea that they're not sentient necessarily, mm -hmm. uh, but also they will react to things. They have, you know, feelings, mm -hmm. but those feelings are mostly just this like single-minded desire to consume and destroy. Um, so yeah, it was that, that I, we wanted to sort of bring out that animalistic quality in them. Um, and then, yeah, Erica just started riffing on designs and uh, yeah, it's, I guess it, as we're talking about with Tokusatsu monsters before, it's, um, always cool to be able to let Erica just sort of come up with something new every time, mm -hmm. but still tied into that overall theme. And then lis listeners, I'm sorry. Um, um, uh, Matt's um, co-creator on this is Erica. I'm gonna, I don't have her last name in Durso? front of me. Yes. So I'm, uh, Erica Doso. Yeah. So I'm going to ask, so how did you guys team up for this? I was looking for an artist for this project literally for years. Mm -hmm. Um. So my friend and editor on the book, Kyle Higgins, has a book called Radiant Black at Image Comics as well. Mm -hmm. And he uh, started working on that about the same time that I started working on this. But mm -hmm. this came out years later because of how long it took me to find the right person. Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew that, I mean, first of all, I wanted a female co-creator on the book mm -hmm. because I knew it being the story of a teen girl that I by myself didn't have all of the perspective mm -hmm, and yes. um sort of style in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um to authentically communicate that uh and i also knew that i wanted someone who could do really big electric exciting dynamic action mm -hmm. but also someone who could do the human drama in a really powerful way and i think erica does both of those things so well i like to say mm -hmm. like when a character in inferno got red is sad your heart breaks Mm -hmm. because of how powerfully she can communicate those emotions. So finding the person that was all of those um, different combinations of things. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a long, long search and it ended up being because uh, Kyle and I work with different artists um, from Italy in particular, mm -hmm. um, both in the Power Rangers books and on Ultraman. Uh, she was just a recommendation and there are a few people that we've been recommended, but she was the first person who, as soon as I saw her work at her portfolio, I was just like, yes, mm -hmm, this is yeah. it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I spoke to her, like she was really excited by the story and she was very like passionate about the beliefs and the ideas in mm -hmm. it. And I knew I'd found the right person. And um, she really is a co-creator in the book. Like I explained to her the story, but then she started creating different concepts and different designs and mm -hmm. that helped me understand the story and I changed this a lot of the feel of it and um some of the beats of the story to better match 
her contribution. So mm-hmm. we just bounce back and forth and work together to create this world. I want to comment on um, Erica's artwork. I love the interior artwork. Um, mm. Early on in the page, I love the two-page um, two page, um, the splash page of Apex City. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, I uh, there's a few points in this that I felt really bad for what I was putting in the script because mm-hmm. I basically said a two-page spread, the car comes over the hill, yeah. you see the entire city. Yeah. And that's a very easy thing for a person to write into a script mm-hmm. that's very difficult for an artist to draw. It's just an entire city. And then a few things happen to the city in the story. Well, I guess, as I mentioned, it gets ripped out of existence and thrown mm-hmm. into yes. darkness. And Erica had to draw all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she handled it so, so beautifully. And yeah, her and our colorist, Igor Monti, uh, they're such an amazing pair. Uh, and Igor like has such a specific style and is a huge part of the identity of the book because his colors are so vibrant that I feel like the emotion of the story yes. just sort of like but like just shines out. Mm-hmm. And I actually like even changed how I write based on him as well because for example, he does this thing where in in fight scenes and big action scenes, in moments of key impact or power, he'll invert the colors of the page to really emphasize those moments. Mm-hmm. And I knew that in action scenes, I wanted to start writing to that to, to sort of help him mm-hmm. use that tool that he has. So I'll change the way I choreograph scenes to make sure Igor can get the most out of it as well. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, please don't take this the wrong way. Because I love the color choices. They're great. Because the interpersonal relationships between either Cassie and her mom or, mm. you know, it's it's nice, soft, warm tones. It's really, it, yeah. it's just nice. Okay, this is going to soft. It just makes, it's kind of nice, warm and fuzzy, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I also love the bold colors when Inferno Girl comes out. It's yeah. just, you know, it, and the, and the thing I love about too, is that Erica and I- Igor is that all the angular on the angular parts of, um, Inferno girls helmets are sharp. It's, it's, per, it's great. There's no soft lines, basically. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, but also to the stark yeah, yeah. redness and the black comes out strong and it's like, wow, this is, it, it shows that it's real powerful and I love it. It's great. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's it's those two important parts of the story that I was looking for when I was trying to find Erica. It is that the really genuine, earnest, heartfelt emotion. And then it's just that like blazing, like, you know, knock you out action. Yes. Um, and that's yeah, represented all the way through. All right. Um, I'm gonna ask, um, how is because yeah, let me just ask you is how was Inferno mm. Girl tied into the massive verse? Yeah, so when I mentioned that uh, Kyle was working on uh, Radiant Black about the same time. And that was also true of uh, Ryan Parrott and the artist Abel with their book, Rogue Sun, and mm-hmm. also Melissa Flores on uh, The Dead Lucky, yes. her book. And we, we're all friends and we all have a connection in that we all wrote for the Boom Studios Power Rangers comics together. Melissa's actually writing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um and we all have this connection to, to to Power Rangers. And yeah, we just get along really well. So we're all talking. We're all talking about what we we're working on. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw in each other's work a lot of shared sensibilities and shared 
passions, but also a lot of differences. We realize that they're all kind of carving out distinct feelings and types of stories. And it occurred to us that we could try a different version of the shared universe yes, uh, and do it a, a little different to how Marvel does it because, because it's an image and one of the, the incredible things about images it's all creator owned it's all our control there's no, never any corporate mandates there's never mm-hmm. any, any editorial mandates mm-hmm. and what that allowed us to do was in our books it's incredibly self-contained mm-hmm. you know you read inferno go red book one book two uh you don't need to read anything else you won't feel like anything's missing that's true of reading black and rogue sun and the dead lucky but we also do these crossovers once every year called supermassive mm. where the characters from these books will interact with each other. Uh, and they're just like little one, well, not little, they're quite big, but one-off stories mm-hmm. um, where we get a chance to see like how these characters interact with each other. And it does like give you a bit more perspective and information on the individual series, but we could do that without it detracting or derailing our individual series. Yeah, so yeah. what we're trying to create is hopefully the best of both worlds, where mm-hmm. if you just want to read one series, you can just do that and your, your experience will be impacted at all. But if you're reading more than one, you mm-hmm. can read the supermassives and enjoy these characters coming together. And I, I hope that in some ways the supermassives are a way to sort of introduce readers of one book to another book. So they might yes. pick it up because they like, in Photo Go Red, for example, mm-hmm. but then read it that, oh, wow, Rogue Sun's really cool. Or Red Black mm-hmm. is really cool. I want to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the final thing about it is that it also allows us to do some cool stuff we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Uh, for example, uh, we've just announced that we're going to be doing a fighting card game uh, of the Massive Verse oh. that will be uh, kickstarted a bit later as well mm-hmm. With all of the characters, so Inferno Go Red and the Griffin will be playable character decks in that, but also characters from Rogue, Rogue Sun, Red and Black, and, and mm-hmm. the Dead Lucky as well. So yeah, we get to do these big sort of combination projects together mm-hmm. um, while also doing our, our own thing. Um, I just want to point this out. Um, there's one scene that I love because, like you said, that you, Melissa, Kyle, you guys are big fans of the Power Rangers. You guys, um, you know, you guys talk about you know all this stuff. I have to say, one of the things I love about, um, one of the cool things I love about Inferno Girl when I read, I love the scene where Cassie's mom tells her, you know, okay, this is how you use a bracelet to change into Inferno Girl Red. She says, you might have to yell it, but I have no idea if it's mandatory. I just love that <laughs> line. It, it's it's great because it 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 it, it pokes fun. At its it, it, it's self realization, it kind of pokes fun at itself, but I'm gonna say yeah. too, it shows your love for the genre, you know, because you yeah. kind of know it's like, okay, this is where they're all, you know, if they're gonna, you know, this is where they do their hero stance, or 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 or, or let's say like Star Trek, right? It's like, okay, if they beam up, why why does everyone have to stand still? You know, why can't they just be lying on the ground? Why can't someone just be kneeling down? You know, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have so much affection for Tokusatsu, and we've certainly found a lot of uh, inspiration in some of the um, aesthetics and different approaches, and, and even things like there's some like non diegetic uh, like text 
when mm-hmm. the characters first transform that sort of introduces them that is inspired a lot by Carmen Rider. But we also wanted to make sure that we were really engaging with the idea of Tokusatsu and what's going on under the surface and a lot of the themes and some of the storytelling practices that we can learn. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a it's not a parody. Like we genuinely oh. love this stuff. Yes. Um and it's taken very seriously. But um yeah, it is also fun to sort of play with the conventions a little bit and um yeah have those moments as well okay um man i'm gonna ask i i realized i didn't ask this i didn't type in the question but i'm gonna ask you the dumb question can you tell us uh, without spoiling what is book what should we expect from book two yeah so without spoiling too much the end of book one leaves cassia in a really tough spot she just had this big victory but it came at a huge huge personal cost Mm -hmm. so she's kind of in this like dual place where she's feeling very capable because she just did this incredible thing, but she's lost one of the things that keeps her grounded and gives her direction. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to figure out where to go from here. And then the consequences of book one start catching up with her in a big way. And we end up seeing, yeah, some of, uh, some of the things that she's done have, have really significant consequences. Uh, And she ends up, encountering two new young people who actually used to be students at, at her school mm-hmm. who are going to terrorize the city in a major way. Um, she's going to encounter a, a potential romance mm-hmm. that comes at a terrible time and mm-hmm. might not be the right thing, but she's still kind of drawn to. Uh, and she's going to get a chance to understand more about this mysterious force that's pressing down on the city and learn a lot more about what's going on there. And in the midst of all of that, she's also got to kind of rebuild her support network. She's Mm -hmm. going to um, find a new mentor. Mm -hmm. She's going to bring in some of her friends more explicitly into her mission Mm -hmm. and try and define like, okay, what is Infernal Goren moving forward? Who is part of that? And how do we operate? Mm -hmm. Um, So she's trying to create all of that sort of new system as things just start going wrong and wrong and wrong and everything starts falling apart. Man, I'm just going to say, you want to just take my money now? I mean, you, you, know, <laughs> you just want to... <laughs> you know, I appreciate oh. that. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God, now I can't wait for the second book. Okay. All right. Let me yeah. let me start asking. Okay. um, Do you do you have... um? What are some of the tier rewards that you guys have set out? Yeah. So we, of course, have uh, like, you know, the book digitally. Um, actually, what I'll say first is very importantly, if you haven't read any Infernogo Red before, we absolutely welcome everybody because we'll have uh, both digital and physical copies of Infernogo Red Book One mm-hmm. as part of this new Kickstarter campaign. So mm-hmm. you can join us right now, jump in. Um, now's the perfect time. So yeah, we have digital PDFs of both, but we'll also have our deluxe hardcovers of both Book One and Book Two. And these hardcovers, they have a, 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 an exclusive to Kickstarter uh, cover. They're oversized. There's heaps of pages of exclusive material in the back and they're just an exquisite format. Uh, I'm really happy with how the, those hardcovers have come out. Uh, and then, of course, we also have um, some prints. And one of my favorite parts of doing these Kickstarters is going out to artists that I love and asking them to interpret uh, Inferno Go Red in their own style. Mm-hmm. So we'll be announcing some of the artists quite soon of, of, of who... Um, we'll be joining us for, for this time, but mm-hmm. they've 
just done these incredible interpretations of Infernal in their own style. And yeah, those prints are exclusive to the Kickstarter as well. So yeah, you definitely want to make sure that you don't miss out um, mm-hmm. and you get all this Kickstarter exclusive stuff. Now, listeners, because um, I backed the first Kickstarter. Oh my God, that oversized hardcover is beautiful. It, um, so, and you know, um, and I'm gonna and and I told Matt I was gonna mention this, and Matt, you can comment too. But but mm. for listeners, like you know, you know, and it's it's understandable if you can't afford the Kickstarter. You know, I, I take it Image will release book two in a later date in in like two like a three part series or something. Or yeah, uh, if we make our funding, okay, yeah, <laughs> um, that's the creation of book two is um definitely. It's only going to happen if we if we hit our goal because that's what allows us to to pay the art time our team to make all this happen. Uh, but yeah, our plan for that is that uh, later on, after everyone in, from the campaign gets mm-hmm. their copies, yes. uh, Image will release probably in the same way as we did this time, sort of three mm-hmm. oversized single issues. So that they're actually double sized usually. They're about forty pages on average, yes. and then after that we'll do a trade paperback that we'll release to bookstores and mm-hmm. uh, comic stores as well, um, which will collect everything, but will be a smaller size and be paperback. So, um, so listeners, you know, um, as Matt mentioned, you know, um, Infernal Gre- Girl Red Book One was already released out of, through Image as a three-part series. It's out available in stores right now. You know, if you get a chance, pick that up. But if you can't, you know, if you can't check out this amazing Kickstarter, if you can get those oversized books, oh my God, like I said, they're beautiful. Thank I'm going to ask, um, and will there be like an Ashcan comic if a certain tier reward is um, hit or anything like that? I don't think we're going to do an Ashcan this time, but okay. I do have an idea for an extra thing mm-hmm. as a, a stretch goal. That will, in a similar way, provide another little story from the world of Inferno Go Red. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll we'll keep the details of that under wraps for now. But okay. yeah, we know that people really responded to that and loved that last time. So probably mm-hmm. not the same form, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've got something in mind for sure. Oh my god, that's so cool! Oh, a process question. Now, mm. did you and Erica like work out a schedule when these books should come out? Because I know two years ago the first campaign was launched. Now you guys are launching another one. Have you guys like tried to work out a schedule or something and when to try to like, have these Kickstarters come out? Yeah, we don't have a set schedule or anything. It's more just how long it takes the books and then, um, you know, a, a bit of a time for a little break for Erica afterwards to. Mm-hmm. Uh, relax first of all and sort of recover because you actually injured herself doing the first book um yes i saw that on twitter yes yeah yeah or, uh read it somewhere yeah and yeah yeah so i think we've sort of learned to pace her a little bit better um but also it's she like can have a little bit of a chance to do small other things before she mm-hmm. gets back to inferno go red so not uh it's not really a set schedule it's just sort of as we can do them we want to keep doing them off the cuff question how do you guys how, how many books do you have planned for the series i mean we don't have a like a super locked in firm plan at all um in part just because we really don't take for granted that we'll be able to keep doing that you know we know that Mm, every single time we have to go out to people and sort of make the case and and hope for the best Mm -hmm. um i will say very 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 loosely 
I have a sort of six to seven book mm-hmm. construct in my mind. Yeah. But um, part of the joy of this process for me is just discovering where the story takes us organically as we go. Uh, mm-hmm. And I expect if we uh, have the the privilege and the good fortune to be able to continue, that'll probably change as mm-hmm. we go. And then um, I'm going to start wrapping things up slowly because, I, like I said, I don't want to keep you too much. But I want to ask you now, I'm going to move on from Infernal Girl. Now, please mm-hmm. talk about another Kickstarter that's coming up, Bad Blood. You oh, yeah. This is a really fun one. Yes. Uh, so, so an artist friend of mine, a graphic artist, not a comic artist, named Kelly McMahon, um, she does uh, all sorts of like um, prints and things like that that she sells at conventions. But she's recently started designing decks of playing cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she did a Kickstarter for one previously. And they're just so beautiful. And she started working on a new set. Mm-hmm. And this one's uh, sort of like 1920s inspired, um, sort of like Roaring Twenties, but a little of like Cried Noir infused in. Mm-hmm. And when she was creating it, she reached out to me and she said, oh, I have this idea yes. of doing a murder mystery to accompany the deck of cards. And she explained yes. to me what she was thinking. And I was just so excited and said, yeah, absolutely. I'll write that for sure. Mm-hmm. So what it is, is that with the deck of cards, which are like gorgeous designs on them with um, like characters on them, but are just regular playing cards, there will also be a little journal that you'll get that is the journal of a journalist who was investigating some murders before he died himself. Mm-hmm. And by reading through that journal and also by investigating the character, like looking at the characters on the cards, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to figure out who killed uh, a young woman who died in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to sort of use both the notes that the journalists put together as well as your own observations to figure out mm-hmm. who is responsible for these murders. Um and yeah, it's like uh, just such a fun thing to do. And it's something that you'll only really be able to sort of do one time, obviously, because after that you'll solve the mystery. But mm-hmm. what I really love about it is by going through this process, you learn about all of the characters who are on the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of the the face cards, the ace, the king, the queen, and the jack of the different suits are different people. Mm-hmm. And that means that as you keep playing with these cards, whether you're playing poker or, or whatever, they won't just be designs on the cards. There'll be characters that you know and understand and you understand their motivations and their backstories and how they relate to each other. So mm-hmm. I really love that idea of taking a deck of cards and without adding extra anything extra that would like sort of take away from the cards themselves, mm-hmm. make them more meaningful to you and give you a greater connection to them. So yeah, that's that's bad blood. It will be launched your Kickstarter a little bit after uh the Inferno Girl Red Kickstarter, but uh, we will be doing a special thing where if you back both of our campaigns, mm-hmm. when Inferno Girl Red gets fulfilled, you'll get an exclusive Inferno Girl Red print designed by Kelly uh, that'll nice. be included with your hardcover. Mm-hmm. So little incentive for you to check out both. That's pretty cool. All right. I'm going to start wrapping things up. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to, because Matt, I know you're a big fan of Ultraman, the Power Rangers, how big a fan are you of these, you know, franchises? Like, do you have action figures? Do you have, you know, you know, DVD? I, I know this is audio, but like a DVD, I have a, something called Kikaida. One of my, it's great. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or the Kamen Rider V3. You know, I have the DVD set, you know? 
Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty big fan. Um, it, it varies actually by franchise. Nice. Uh, interestingly, Ultraman was one that I didn't have a lot of familiarity with, mm-hmm. uh, before I sort of, uh, Kyle and I were reached out by Marvel and, and Super Eye, who are an Ultraman. But mm-hmm. I think in investigating Ultraman, I realized how much of everything that I love Ultraman was kind of the source. It was like the mm-hmm. the inciting element that created all of this stuff. So diving into that and discovery it all was so good. Um, I'm not a huge action figure guy myself, mm-hmm. but I do have some. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky actually to have a few different Ultraman figures given to me by Subaraya, the people who are an Ultraman, which was a very touching gesture. Nice. Um, so I have Ultraman and Ultra 7 in a few different scales, uh, which is lovely. And um, I'll actually, it, I, as much as I'm not like huge into action figures, I will build model kits from time to time. Yes. Um, I love me some, some Gumpla. And I actually just last night built uh, Ninja Man, from uh, Kaku Ranger, which is a Super Sentai, or he's Ninja in Power Rangers, mm-hmm. if you prefer. Uh, and yeah, he's delightful. So I have like a few small bits and pieces, but um, yeah, I, I just like, I just love watching the stories. I love watching Super Sentai. I love watching Kamen Rider mm-hmm. um, and just being inspired by how powerfully mm-hmm. creative they are. I'm going to ask you one off the cuff question because, like I said, I want to try to get to the other questions. Um, like, how far back are the Kamen, like, like, have you watched the original common writers that were like made in the seventies, like TV shows? I've watched a, a little bit more, uh, a little bit of the early common writer. I've watched more recent modern common writer, like common mm-hmm. writer build and um, like common writer ghost and zero one. Um, but I, yeah, I want to go back and explore more of the the original common writers because they have such a cool vibe. Yes. Um, and I also know that uh, I. I Along those lines, I really want to see Shin Kamen Rider. Uh, unfortunately, I live down here in Australia, and we tend to get things very late. So yes, we yeah. only just got Shin Ultraman in cinemas, and I loved that. That was so good. Um, so I'm really hoping we get to see Shin Kamen Rider in cinemas soon. So I'm purposely not watching anywhere else. I want to see it on the big screen, if mm-hmm. not possible. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Okay. Um, actually, let me just... Um, when is your next convention or store appearance? for signing mm. you know books and stuff i'm hoping hoping that i'll be at new york comic-con this year which is only you know like a month and a bit away um mm-hmm. it's really gonna come down to finances but yeah it's my hope that i'll be at new york comic-con mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and then you know um have you and your family been to hawaii I've never been. I would love to go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Australia is a long way from literally everywhere, but yeah. Hawaii is closer than yeah. mainland America to mm-hmm. us. So yeah, I, I I would absolutely love to to go to Hawaii one day. Oh my god. I um I'm gonna make it clear. I do not know any the the comic con organizers here. Mm. But I think you would love it um, because we have something called Kawaii Con. It's like more about the mm-hmm. anime and stuff like that. You, they bring down Japanese voice actors, voice actors from the mainland, you know, um, some of the booths. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, um, you know, yeah. So I think I think you would love it here. And it's not it's not going to be New York crazy packed. You know, I mean, you have enough room to move around, you know. So yes. yeah, <laughs> or you have enough time yeah. to talk to fans, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. I, you know, we have conventions down here in Australia as well, and they're quite small. So I have no problems with um, 
slightly smaller, quieter conventions, especially as compared to like San Diego and, and New York. Yeah. Um, any closing words to our listeners? Oh, only just that I hope that you'll uh, check out our Kickstarter and see if you'd be interested. Um, you know, we we really wanted to create something that felt like the future superhero comics that felt new and vibrant and sort of bold and emotional. Um, but it was also incredibly accessible. You don't need to have read anything else, experienced anything else. Um, they're novels, so they're like complete stories in and of themselves. So, uh, yeah, I hope that you'll come and see if it's for you and check it out if it is. Matt, mahalo. Thank you, and Hawaiian. Thank you for your time. Thank you for Thank giving you. me an opportunity to interview you. I wish you all the success with the Infernal Girl Red Books 1 and 2 Kickstarter campaign. I want to thank Hannah of Superfan for promotion for helping set up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much. Now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader or a, I'm going to say a massive verse fan or, or even a Power Rangers fan, please check out this Kickstarter campaign. It is live right now and it's going to end um, probably towards the end of September. Just double check the um, Kickstarter page for the date. Now, listeners, I've read book one. And I love it. You know, the art has that it has a nice cinematic feel to it. I love the stark, uh, the soft colors, and it contrasts to the bold, strong colors. Um, it, it's very good. It's really nice. Um, and I love the story about, as Matt said, it, it's not your typical um, hero story. This really has a great mother-daughter relationship. Um, it all has it, and it's about a mother who's helping her daughter to become the woman she is bottom line is you know this is a great this to me this is a great love letter to the super sentai shows and to superhero comics now matt i'm being serious to our listeners listeners you know if you don't know what to get your friend or a family member who is a huge comic book fan please consider backing this kickstarter and giving them this this unique gift you know as a birthday present or even as a christmas present i just think that'd be that would be pretty awesome. I want to thank Drew, the Coast of Comics for Fun and Profit for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Kyle, I've got the solution to our dreary, dreary evenings. We can... We can we can pop a little magic mind and Ooh. get a little pick me up and and still still go to sleep just enough to give us some some clarity of mind uh, a, a little creativity get the creative juices flowing maybe give you one or two before the podcast you know <laughs> to really focus you in uh, what you, you think fall of asleep during one podcast and all of a sudden that's your problem uh-huh. but yeah absolutely the worst thing you want to do is you know brew a pot of coffee at middle of the night right before podcast <laughs> yeah then you're up the entire evening what you need is good sustained energy clarity of mind not you know a jolt of caffeine that hurts yeah. your body and all these things absolutely and uh magic mind uh does all that stuff and has that uh okay matcha i want to talk about matcha Drew. okay all right the the green vegetable matcha that 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 buzzword that superfood 
I didn't think I'd like matcha. I uh-huh. am starting to like matcha. And that's one of the big key ingredients here is that that uh, that lovely green superfood that has the benefits of all the uh, uh, keeping you going. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it, it's cool stuff. It, it's pricey. Uh, mm-hmm. Matcha is. But they stick it in this uh, with with some great other ingredients, all natural stuff. Um, so but you you can get it through us with our code so we want you to check out this magic mind elixir check this out it is go to magicmind.co slash comics fun profit and elixir really is the perfect word for it it's a nice little elixir it's very cool for sure if you feel you want to try this out go to magicmind.co slash comics fun profit and use our code you can get um, 20 percent off uh of an initial one-time purchase or up to 56 percent off of a subscription so if this sounds good to you go to magicmind.co slash comics fund profit and use our code cfp you can get up to 50 percent 56 percent off your subscription for the next 10 days with the code cfp or you can just use that discount code cfp at magicmind.co slash comicsfunprofit to get 20% off a one-time purchase. Just to sample, dip your toe, check it out.